What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I am your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. After a little break with all the uh, craziness that's going on in the world and trying to get people scheduled, I'm back. And what a better way to have uh, uh, be back and... Uh, have a fantastic guest with me, a guy that I've known for quite a while, but I'm going to enjoy sitting down and talking to him. He is a golf course architect. He's done a lot of things, but he's also the president of Golf Links and Better Billy Bunker, Mr. Jerry Lemons. How are you, sir? BJ, I'm doing great. It's good to see you, and it's good to be back with you again. Man, we had a good time the other day oh, over we did. at the old Hickory <laughs> Country <laughs> Club. Uh, yes, we did. Um, <laughs> we uh, got out and played a few holes at the member guest, and uh, it was good to see you. We kind of took over the place, didn't we? We did. <laughs> you know, I thought we were, everybody was kind of watching us there for a minute, and yeah. uh, and uh, we were we had kind of the few holes to ourselves, so that, that was, was fun. That was a lot of fun. You know, Dan's doing a great job with that, that place. He's and, done a fantastic job with yeah. that golf course. He really has. Yeah. I know that uh, that's been uh, kind of your home place. Tell, talk it to has. me a little bit about Yeah, about I that. came to Old Hickory in 84. Yeah. Uh, that's been a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, was hired initially to redo the golf course. At that time, Old Hickory was uh, uh, Bermuda Grass Green, so Tiff Green. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they sure were. And uh, they were, they were, uh, the golf course had really never been touched from a renovation standpoint. It was. Um, uh, originally designed by the old pro that was out at uh, uh, Bellmead Country Club back in the early 20s. Yeah. And I was hired to come in and convert the greens to bent grass. So during that period, uh, we we did some redesign on – every green was uh, completely redesigned sure. and, and the bunkers as well. And then, um, you know, over the time, some of the Bermuda grasses have gotten very popular thanks to your efforts yeah. uh, at, at Brentwood. And uh, they've done very well with, yeah. with the, the Bermuda grasses there. Yeah. So Dan's done a fantastic job. We just oh. we did a bunker renovation there um, about three years ago yep. and uh, changed the architecture of that yep. golf course significantly. Right. So it's got a little bit more of an old-school look to it. It, and, it definitely does. Uh, it so did. it's, a, it's a really cool track, and, yeah. and it's been home for me since 84. Yeah. It really has been. So you did you grow up in the Middle Tennessee area, or how did no, you end up here? No, so I grew up in southern Illinois. Okay. Uh, and that's about as close to Kentucky and Indiana as you can get, uh, <laughs> right around the Ohio River there. Yeah. And then I went to school at Murray State. I when I was oh, uh, the racers, the huh? racers, absolutely. Yeah. So I was uh, an old farm boy. Yeah. And um, grew up on the farm there, growing corn and soybeans. And my father made the mistake, I think, of letting me go and uh, play the game of golf when I was about twelve years old. And I <laughs> fell in love with the game, but I really fell in love with turf. And uh, oddly enough, the golf course there, Caven Rock Country Club, which is just just across the river from Paducah, yep, uh, they had Bermuda grass greens, and they had lost those greens, and so we made a conversion to bent grass there. And I got very interested in growing bent grass in the transition zone yeah. as a kid. And uh, uh, my my dad, uh, we had lots of equipment around, and my dad came home one Saturday, and I'd torn the backyard up and was in the middle of building a putting green. <laughs> <laughs> so I was 13 years old with yep. a box blade and a tractor building building a putting green there, and that kind of started my love for turf, and, right. and I had every intention uh, to become a golf course superintendent at that time forever. Right. Um, fast forward to Murray State, graduating. Murray's building a brand-new golf course, uh, Mike Hurdson and Jack Kidwell. And uh, I was uh, uh, lucky enough to convince the dean of agriculture to let me put in some test plots of bent grass and some blue grasses and all there at Murray. And um, 
there was a, a newspaper article that was written about me, and, and the, the final thing in the article was that I was hoping that they would hire a golf course superintendent real soon because right. I graduated, <laughs> and they did. I was very fortunate. So uh, uh, what I uh, quickly learned was that golf course architecture was a fun fun business sure. building golf courses and i really found uh almost immediately the the love for architecture yeah through mike and jack and uh about three years later i went to princeton country club at press and perry maxwell golf course that had nine holes that they had done and they had another nine that i'm not sure who really had done it probably some farmer uh for the group but they needed the same thing they needed greens rebuilt right and so i, I pulled off a miraculous uh, renovation uh, for pennies on the dollar, I might add. <laughs> and it turned out exce exceptionally well, and that was uh, a year later, Old Hickory had called and said, hey, come down and do the same thing for us. So yeah. uh, that was the beginning of the architecture. And and my career is, has been really helping clubs do low-budget uh, renovations right. and designs. Uh, that's kind of where I cut my teeth. I did a lot of work in West Kentucky, Illinois, Tennessee, and um, it, it just it has been a fascinating and fun career for me. Yeah, is that so that your the majority of your architecture has been coming in and helping courses and whether they need to upgrade or whatever, that's sort of yeah. where you got. Have you yeah, done? Yeah, and, but, but I've also been very fortunate. I've had clients that have called and said, hey, we want to build a brand-new sure. golf course. Yeah. And those have been the funds. Willowbrook down in uh, Manchester okay. was one of the first full 18-hole golf courses I've done. But I've done – I, I kind of got the title at, uh, years ago as the nine-hole king because I was doing many nine-hole golf courses right. for a lot of folks, and they just – they didn't have the place for – um, 18 hoes or the money or the play for 18 hoes. So right. uh, it, we did a lot of nine hoe golf courses that eventually turned into 18 yeah. over the time. So, yeah, but anything from renovation work uh, to uh, uh, new design, it, it, we, I was pretty much doing just about right. anything that you can imagine. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the architecture. I told you that before yeah. we kind of recorded and yeah. started recording. But how, so let me back up to did you study that in school or, or was you studying agronomy and then just kind of? Oh, I studied the agronomy side yeah. of it. And I kind of came into it like many of the old architects did back in the early golden years yeah. where, where they, were, they were not studying architecture. They knew golf courses. But, you know, the agronomy side of it, I think, is one of the strongest points that I have because. Right. I knew and understood exactly about mowing, about maintenance, because uh, I, I found it very important that you had to understand how you could maintain what was built. And building things that were, that were very costly to yeah. build was not the exact direction that I wanted to go with anything that I did. Right. I'd, I'd seen too many golf courses that you had too much fly mow and weed eater work. Right. And as in part of the bunkers, or the bunkers being built way too steep, and uh, so those were things that I saw that I didn't want to replicate because I'd been on the wrong end right. of the weed eater and the shovel too many times sure. in some of these projects. So that was important to me. Do, um, do you feel like that's a a lost art in the architectural world, or do you find that just people have their own way of doing things? Well, I I think uh, there are a lot of people that look at golf course architecture from a standpoint of two dimensions. They look at how the hoe is laid out, uh, the the turns and and all that go on, and they're they're uh, you know I I talk to people that think they know a lot about golf course architecture that look at Google Earth and say, oh look at this hoe, how good this hoe is, right? But there's so many other aspects of the, the golf course in design. And, you know, you know, you cannot appreciate drainage. You cannot appreciate slope when you're looking at a golf sure. course plan from Google Earth at 2,000 feet or right. 20,000 feet. Right. It's a totally different view. So the playability of that golf course has so much to do with how well the golf course superintendent and his staff can maintain it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's always to me is, you know, obviously I kind of – fell into the the agronomy side of things but i i felt like that if i was going to move into the architecture side that having ability to be somewhat functional all the way around but still be a great golf course mm -hmm. and that's why i mean i like guys like donald ross and people like that i just kind of feel like their architecture is very um it feels like home to me as far as what they were trying to do and i just wonder if you got like any sort of thing that you 
that you kind of do or replicate over and over again that's worked for you that you see that you know, or do you just kind of take each project as it is and yeah, put your own I, you know I, I think that a lot of times architects get labeled as a particular design style and um, Bob Cup, who was a great friend of mine uh, fellow ASGCA member uh, Bob made the comment about Donald Ross years ago because he, he and Billy Fuller were doing a project over in Charlotte and they got on the site and it's like you know, this doesn't look a lot like Donald Ross. And they dug into the plans even more and realized Donald Ross had actually done that. And and Bob's comment was, you know, thank goodness, like a dog, uh, golf course architects don't pee the same way every <laughs> every time they sure. do something. Yeah. And I think that's a tribute. You know, Tillinghast was very much the same way. Right. Tillinghast was, is somewhat well-known for his big flash bunkers. But when you go to certain clubs, Baltimore Country Club, it, it you would look at it and say, well, that's got a little bit of Tilly's flavor to it, right. but that's not exactly how he did it at Wingfoot. Right. Uh, you know, so uh, that that's the good thing about golf course architecture. You you kind of go with what the site tells you to build. Sure. You you have to pay attention to that because um, you can't put a sandy um, sand valley type golf course on a Parkland type soil. Right. And if you try to force that type of bunkering where that the the bunkers are just ragged and 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 uh, you know falling apart and evolving if you're trying to put that on a parkland golf course it doesn't work right so you have to have a good concept of soils and i think that from my standpoint the agronomy aspect of it it taught me what turf grasses you could grow what soils that you could grow them on and mm -hmm. what was required and what you could expect out of that right Okay. How how often do you or when you're on a project do you want to talk to the superintendent or speak to someone about? Oh, that? I you know we just finished up a great project up at Bowling Green, uh, the Cinco Nine Hole yeah. Par Three Course yep. uh, at, at Old Stone, yep. and uh, Wyatt uh, Warfield was the, the the key guy there. I mean he was he was the first guy that number one he helped bring me onto the project, but. He was the partner as a teammate, along with the contractor there, yeah. uh, Chris Hill with Course Crafters. We were a team putting this project together. Right. And, you know, fortunately, Wyatt is such a good superintendent. He understands maintenance and what the limits are on it as well. So we have some very interesting greens on this golf course. Right. I'd love for you to come up and see I it. I saw it in construction. Yeah. I had uh, Wyatt's uh, assistant, uh, Austin, on um, – one on the podcast very early in the uh, in the podcast world and it was a great and he yeah. we were up there and we talked about it and um spent some time but it was early in construction but it, i i did get to spend did you do the putting green it's like twenty thousand yeah. square yeah, 23, feet good square night feet. <laughs> that thing's massive yes it's a ball yeah uh, that was one of the funnest projects i've ever done yeah. and we had some great people again uh mr scott gave us the the uh, directive on the design of this golf course yep. and it was pretty simple he wanted a fun golf course he wanted it playable and walkable for everyone sure but he wanted a lot of aces yeah a lot of hole-in-ones and so the very first week that we opened we had four aces and I'm not sure that they've kept up with how many. I was up there two weeks ago yeah. on on a Friday. They had four hole and ones on the ninth hole. So I think we clearly now. How did you accomplish that by the slopes and the, all the the, 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 sl the slopes and the valleys and everything? And and of course, Wyatt controls that a little bit with yeah. hole locations sure. too. But we gave the 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 ball an opportunity to roll a whole lot, right. so that you had more chances to do that. That probably was pretty fun. To, That's fun. Now that it is a par three it, there's everything's every, par, three. par three yeah i think the shortest hole that we have is like 40 yeah. yards long and yeah. i designed it so that uh, a person could play it with a putter okay if they wanted to off yep. the tee yep uh using the right slopes and uh the ball can carry them off the the hills and sure. all that and then i think the longest we can we can probably play it from 140 yards if okay. we really wanted to scoot something yeah. back. So just a lot of neat little hole locations. Yeah. What's neat about this this project is it was set up for match play. Okay. So in instead of having formal tees all over the place, we have fairways everywhere. So after you finish the first hole, you could drop a ball right on the back of the collar, and you could play it to the next hole, or you could move around almost – 90 degrees around the, 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 the next 
uh, hole so that you could have all kinds of different shots. Gotcha. And it's just a ball to play it that way. Man, that does sound like yeah. fun. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about is the with the kind of golf being going in the direction it is, is what is your thoughts on nine-hole facilities and you know, par threes and just to get people involved in the game. Like I was telling you, I help out at Harpeth Valley. Mm -hmm. It's covered up with people that are probably just first timers and, you know, young people coming out. I mean, I feel like that there's a need right now for something like that. There, there is. I think golf can be intimidating to newcomers into yep. the game. Uh, I don't think kids have that intimidation as much as adults do. Sure. Uh, but, but you know, kids now have so many options. They have so many options with soccer and uh, basketball and you know, things that – BJ, you and I didn't have right. when we were kids. Soccer was not even on the on the map at that time. Yeah. I mean, it was football and basketball and, and baseball is what we had. Yep. Uh, but there's so many options for these kids now, and I think that the introduction for these these nine hole golf courses, the par threes, are so welcoming to the kids and for the parents that think oh, I can play two or three times a year or four times a year yeah. and, and get out there and not embarrass myself. Not gonna, I'm not going to take more than an hour or two hours maximum time out of my life and my family's life. And I, now all of a sudden you've, you've brought more people into the game. Right. And, that, you know, it's interesting, and I'm sure you know this, this COVID thing has been a weird situation for all Very us. weird. <laughs> but golf has actually been thriving right now. Jerry, I couldn't tell you how much I've seen it. It's cr- it's, it's really incredible. It man. really is. And, and you know, I certainly hope that it continues, huh. but we see more and more people getting into golf. And these little par three golf courses are the ticket to get people excited into it. Yep. You know, even the you mentioned the putting course up there. You know, anytime that you can have anything that puts a club in a kid's hand right. and gets him at least just a little bit interested to understand it, then that's a good thing for golf. Well, and I'm just curious with everything that's going on that, you know, it, golf was a, was an outlet for people to get outside, mm-hmm. to get some exercise. Maybe they hadn't picked up a club in forever, yeah. and they said, well, I'm going to go to the golf course. And, you know, outside of the municipalities and some of the things that had the rules and regulations where they had to shut down, mm-hmm. every other place that stayed open was just maxed out. Yes. And it was – you know, it, I've seen it right and left. I haven't slowed down with work. I'm sure you haven't because yeah. golfing is going crazy. And it, it's just amazing to me that, you know, the PGA Tour has gotten back out to plan, you know, in, in, with their regulations and how they're doing it. And so it's given people an opportunity where nothing else really is right now. Still, everything's still kind of in limbo. So that's why, I'm, you know, I think golf may be at a place where they can kind of rise up and take a take a little piece of what's going on and and you're going to have a lot of influx of people coming in because that's you know what i see anyways i, I don't know if that's what you see but. I, I i think that the opportunity is yeah. there I, I hope that all these facilities will as they have new people coming into them they'll do something to bring them back right you know that's going to be the the key is the repeats yep. and making sure that they feel welcome making sure that they're taking care of people but right now uh, I, I haven't seen any golf facilities that have been suffering because they've been closed or lack of play right it's been just the opposite uh, if they've been open through it and there's been a lot of clubs that have yep. remained open from the beginning here and most all clubs nationwide are open now right okay there's some yeah. states that had gone through and they had to be convinced that it was the right thing to do and yeah. that, that and golf uh, our, our people in our industry found a way to be responsible they did some things to help uh slow the 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 potential uh cause of yep. the disease spreading yep. and I, I commend everybody i saw lots of creativity out right. there in in how people did it and uh, you know it, to, to our goodwill, most people did not contract the disease. Sure. You know, we had a lot of success from yeah. it. Well, as, as you know this as well as anybody, superintendents in the, our business, but a lot of people in the golf business, but superintendents specifically are just jack-of-all-trades. Yes. They figure things out, yes. especially low-budget superintendents, guys who don't have a whole lot, got to figure things out how to That's do right. things. And so they become very resourceful mm-hmm. in ways to do things, and you see that they're a lot of times ahead of the curve when they're, you know, they're, they get out in front of things, when they see things like, uh, you know, they don't want to see – they want to see give people an opportunity to come out and play. So what can we do to uh, minimize all that? And so 
one of the, some of the best people I know are, are superintendents who can just innovate and, yeah. and do things that make that give people comfort and do it. And like you said, I think for the most part, that was what everybody that centered around making rules and regulations and and having things, you know, be monitored and things like that. Golf was doing all those things. So we we're like, I feel like that that was something that they said, OK, continue on and we'll just and we'll just go from there. Yeah, I think the superintendents as a general are problem solvers. Sure. They, they know how. To, to look at things a little bit differently. They're open-minded because, I mean, when you're a golf course superintendent, you're dealing with Mother Nature every day. She throws you a new curveball, yep. and it's never the same one. From no. year to year, you, you think, uh, all, and especially, uh, you know, all the golf course superintendents in the transition zone understand this as cool. well as anybody. There's there's no more difficult place to, to grow grass, I yep. think, than the transition zone because one year you're a cool season hero, and the next year you're a warm season hero, <laughs> and you can be the most ignorant person in this industry uh, if if Mother Nature doesn't cooperate oh, with you, oh for sure, that, and, and there's no doubt about. It's uh, a very tough place, but people are great. Yeah, they're they're good. Yep. They, you know they've learned how to do it well, and it's never easy. No, <laughs> no, we can probably talk for hours about the the difficulties of being a superintendent, yes. and as well as you know, I mean, you know, it's uh you know doing what you do. It's it's just one of those things. And especially, it's hard to to understand how difficult it is in this part of the world that we deal with so many extremes, highs and lows. There's no, we don't have one perfect grass. We do a lot really good. Yes. That's about it. You That's know, right. you can get on either side of the argument about bent grass or Bermuda, and now there's zoysia creeping into the conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's just one of those things that. Uh, That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, it is, <laughs> for sure. I mean, yes. I, we've talked, and I've and, and I've talked a lot about different grassing options, and we've I've had the questions about whether I like this or that. And, you know, again, we can probably talk about that at length. And right. I, what I would be curious about is, um, from your perspective as an architect, where does all that conversation come in? Is it more of someone who's a preference basically on the ground or is, do you provide input or where, where do you stand? Well, I do, side? but you know, that's where that teamwork comes in with that yeah. golf course superintendent. The last thing that I want to do is shove a grass down the superintendent's throat and say, this is what you're going to grow. Yeah. Get used to it. <laughs> uh, because that's the wrong way to go. Yeah. Uh, usually the superintendent is the one that makes that decision. And usually they know on the front end, like wide up at, the, uh, up at the old stone at, at the Cinco, he picked the, the bent grass, the triple seven bent grass that's on those greens. And he is doing a fantastic job. That's a great grass yeah. up there. If he had chosen to put uh, a, a Bermuda grass on there, he would have done a great job with that as well. Yep. You know, he he would have had struggles with either one of them at certain times of the year. Right. Uh, so, uh, just because of the nature of the industry, but the the golf course superintendent is the one that's going to be the, the the person that lives with it. We're, we're just we're up at Hop Hopkinsville Country Club right now doing a putting green. Um, and uh, Daniel up there is is the one that gets to choose which grasses he's going to put on the putting surfaces. Yep. Uh, they have Tiff Eagle there already, so that was an easy choice. But they also had um, some Tiff Sport around the existing, and Tiff Sport's not as good as what some of the other things. So sure. he'll make the decision on which one that will be. Yeah. And and that's you know we. We work together as a team. He may ask me, which grass do you think I ought to use? And, you know, I, fortunately, I've been around the country and seen how different grasses do. Right. You, you know, there's no panacea in this business. There's no one shoe that fits everywhere. And so you just have to look at all the pros and cons that go with it. Yep. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, try to pick the best one that's the, uh, the best choice for your club. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the most important thing right there. And technology and grasses is going crazy. I mean, it's changing all the time. We constantly get new grass types, new varieties. I mean, it's hard, almost yeah. hard to keep up. And, uh, you know, it's just what, what your preference is, what you're looking for. Uh, do the research, you know, and and, and pick one that's best yeah. for you and go because yeah. I think you, as long you, you can make the wrong choice. That that's probably an obvious uh, statement. No but, question. But but at the end of the day, you know, most superintendents kind of know what they want and, yeah. and what they're looking for. I think that's true. And I, you know, I we talk about the the choices on greens and and whether or not Bermuda or Bent's the right choice and everything. You know, for for years, I mean, you remember back in the '90s when we had winter kill. Yeah. And I, I remember, because I, I can tell you, at Murray, we had one of the most significant winter kills up there, and we had a, a, a Bermuda grass called Mid-Iron. It, was, oh, it was the most 
winter tolerant grass that they'd come out with, yeah, you know? Sure. Well, it was also the deadest in 1983 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. we lost almost every stitch of that mid-iron. Well, and that's the, the thing that I learned over time is that all these new grasses, uh, they do quite well in mild situations. Right. But what we don't know is that we don't know how well they do in the most severe situations because, again, we haven't seen that type of situation right. here in a number of years. I think that's the part that, that is always interesting to me is the Bermuda, from the Bermuda grass perspective, you know, if you're doing it and you have it and you're managing it correctly in this part of the world, the covers are a necessity at times we we yeah. we don't really get super extremely cold but we can i mean and, and right. you need some layer of protection yeah. and so depending on if you have singles or doubles it's better than nothing it's obviously bermuda grass so it's going to have some susceptibility to dying if you just leave it unexposed yeah. and but they are really really good and i think people push the envelope and that's what we're learning where is that threshold need to be because i never recommend anybody to, to not cover but they need to watch the temperature fluctuations in the extremes to to know when to cover right. and, and use that to best determine their their facility and how they're going to stay open that's right um and i think that's another that's what i'm trying to learn with the zoysia now is you know it's not a non-cover grass you can't right. it's still a warm season grass but it's even better than bermuda grass and and so where where do we see that threshold being and yeah. and but you know and then bent on the other on the flip side is you know, you're just surviving right now. You're just every, that's anybody right. that's got Ben is just kind of getting me through to <laughs> September one. You know, and so and I, you you look forward to seeing August the seventeenth. That was always my day yep. as the superintendent. You knew, uh, and I'm I'm not sure how well that plant knew that it was August the seventeenth, but the daylight hours were getting shorter, yep. and all of a sudden you started seeing some bent grass rooting come out, yep. and you knew that if you could just Hang on just a little bit longer. You're going to make it without any problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, it's, and, and it's, go ahead. It's fun to cut uh, that I've cut my teeth on both because yeah. I have, the, you know, I sympathize with everybody. Yes. And and so, um, you know, and gives me an opportunity to kind of talk it with some knowledge about what people are going through and also to, to know that, hey, man, you'll just make it through and you'll be good. I've been at many clubs, <laughs> as you probably have as yep. well, where the conversation is, what, are, what should we do? We have bent grass now. Should we convert yeah. to Bermuda grass? I and mean, we got Bermuda grass now. What should we convert back to? And, and it, is, it is a here, – here's the pros and cons yep. of it all. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I've left it up strictly up to the superintendents. I'll just lay it out on the table and say, okay, here's what can happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen this before, and here's what this is. And, you know, uh, it, it's it's a very difficult choice. But, you know, you were, you were a leader in our whole region here with the first uh, ultra-dwarf Bermuda grasses. Well, I, I had to learn on the fly. There's no yeah. doubt about well, it. Well, there were a lot of people that said, is he crazy? Yeah. <laughs> but you proved you were right. Yeah. It, it, it does work. Well, I got to give credit to Phil Luckett. He was there. He was actually the one who decided – to change over um i came in a year after they did mm -hmm. did uh the renovation but i mean one of the questions i got in the interview was you know how was i going to be able to maintain bermuda grass and i was like well how, you're not going to find anybody around here that has experience because yeah, we're right. the only, you know we're the only ones that, so i'm, I'm going to treat it like grass right. and learn on the fly and so that's yeah. what we did but yeah I, I mean i had joe kennedy calling me and saying sure. you're either going to be a hero or not you know yeah, it's that's right and uh, you know, we, it turns out that it's it's got a lot of staying power. Yes, and and uh, my you know. my only advice to anybody that goes the Bermuda route is that buy double covers. It's the best insurance that you can yeah. buy. I, I just I just think if you can afford it and you can do it, yeah. and you can stick to a particular game plan on the temperature fluctuations and changes, you're going to be fine yeah. with the double covers. Yeah. The only myth that I've tried to convince people of that they they think uh, is true about the Bermuda grass is it's cheaper but it's not no it's not they there's no there's no substantial savings with either grass on any given year what i what i usually explain to folks who ask me that is is that you get to reallocate your money that you're spending on hand watering and some of the other things but that's in terms of actual dollars spent on the grass, it's yeah. no, no different. No. There's a there's just a change, and there's top dress, increased top dressings, increased that's cultural right. practices. There's all these things that you're going to be doing 
that you know maybe you're not doing with the bench. So that's it, right. No, nah, I, I I think you hear that a lot. I don't think it's as much now as it yeah, used to that's be. Right. But that's People what, have learned that yeah. now. That was the first thing. It's like we can transfer, we can convert over to Bermuda oh, yeah. and save money. I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> not, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go into it thinking that. Look but, at all the fungicides yeah. that we saved. Yeah. Uh, well, no, not exactly. No. <laughs> so. Uh, where where is the, where do you stand on some of the architectural uh, projects you're on right now? You got any that are still in the hopper? You, you know, we have uh, we have a, a little bit of work that's going on with some clubs on some renovations. There's some folks that are converting uh, uh, 36 down to 27 or 27 down to 18. Yep. And some of them are converting to uh, par three golf courses uh, inside that 18. You know, trying to do some different things. So we we've got some uh, work. Uh, that's renovation work uh, yeah. going on in, in several parts of the country. Of course, um, this COVID thing you would think has really slowed some of that down, but it has not really slowed down the construction. Some of that, I think, is a timeline issue. Projects that are going on right now and yeah. have been all year are a result of what was already in the books and yeah. the contracts and people had even started. Right. Um, so I hear here right now a lot of contractors are looking for work in the fall and yeah. in the spring. So that's kind of an indication that maybe things are slowing down. But, right. um, you, you know, um, most folks are upgrading their facilities. If, you know, if I go back uh, 10, 12 years ago, B.J., there was a lot of deferred maintenance that yep. was going on. And people had just, because of the, the, the 2008, 2009 downturn in the economy, they just weren't spending money on their golf courses. They sure. didn't know where they were going. And I think some people got pent up with, with uh, frustration about the quality of their clubs and said, what yeah. are we doing here? Let's, let's make this place nice. We're right. going to be here a while. Yep. And so they started doing a renovation. That was a, a nice turn in the, in the uh, industry, the construction and the architecture. So there's been a lot of renovations that yeah. have taken place since then. Uh, we're still seeing uh, that go on today. Gotcha. I don't think COVID's going to slow that down totally. There's still a lot of clubs out there that are trying to improve their product. Yep. And so uh, is it as, uh, robust is what it was, you know, five years ago. I don't think that it will be that, but it's not far behind. Yeah. What is your thoughts on the whole distance thing and how distance plays a role in architecture now and golf courses getting longer? And, you know, it, it boggles me that we basically build it. Or, I mean, we look at what's going on on the weekends with the PGA Tour and say these guys are hit. That's not – that's that's just, that's abnormal. That, that's abnormal. <laughs> so, what is your thoughts on some of the uh, the distance criteria and some of the things that are going on now? Well, I I think I stand with most architects is that the golf ball and the equipment has gotten um, some of our golf courses in a situation where they're not as uh, difficult as what they were. Sure. Uh, that you know, w with the addition of the length of the ball and the equipment, it it's added cost to our golf. Uh, it takes more rounds, uh, you know, more distance, more acres of turf right. in order to keep some of these guys back there on the tee. And, it, you know, it is it is a small, small percentage. I'd say it's less than 1% of the golf, golfing population that this really has an impact on. Right. Um, and, you know, you look at all the college players, how good they are. You know, even some of these high school kids. We, we've had a tournament in our club at Old Hickory called the Wally for years in the top High school kids have been just out there, and they're busting the ball 300 yards right down the middle every single time. Right. Well, not all of us can do that. So, <laughs> no, we can't. You, know, uh, you know, that golf ball uh, needs to go a little bit farther for me yeah. uh, and, and, and for some of my older friends <laughs> now. We, need to, we still need to try to buy a game if we can with the best drivers and all. Um, but the, the problem does exist for the, the, the higher-level skilled professionals right. and college players and how how we could ever unring that bell i don't i'm, I'm not sure yeah. it's 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 certainly hurting the game from a standpoint of what it's costing to to maintain the extra acreage and the additional water and nutrients and fertility and, yeah. and maintenance and mowing the whole nine yards it just costs us more money because of what's happened to that yeah and, and i think when you look at these long golf courses, and you compare them to the Cinco, 
that's you know we the longest hose 140 yards on there and the amount of fun and the amount of enjoyment that you can get out of the bang per acre is at the cinco right on the par three courses or the short courses or nine hole shorter golf courses they're still fun they still satisfy a lot of golfers i think it's it's interesting to me that when you watch golf, especially, you know, you're watching golf on TV, they harp so much on, like, these really great short par fours mm. and things like that, which offers so much either off the tee or risk-reward. But you can make as, you can make everywhere from a two to a six or even higher, you know. And, and so it, go, it sort of takes, you know, yeah, it's great to see some guy banging it out there 360, 370, which is not the norm, but – when you when you boil it down to, they're really fascinated by these golf holes that are that challenge you in so many. We call varieties. them half par. Yeah. So so uh, you know typically you look at a short par four is really a three and a half. Yeah. And or a four and a half par four, par five. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you can look at it both ways. But those holes are fun to play because uh, you and I have a better chance to potentially make a birdie. Right. Uh, and you know we also have that potential to make a bogey pretty easy yeah. if we don't play it how the architect is set it out in front of us. Right. So you, you have, anytime you have to think a little bit, then you, you're going to have a better golf hole. Yeah. Uh, what we see on the tour now more than anything, and I, I think we just saw it last last weekend with Bryson, Bryson's hitting at, what he's 365 yards. average 350. Yeah, th- average. Yeah, you know, something like that. You know, all he's doing is sitting out there with the driver, and he's just banging it down the middle as hard as he can. There's yeah. no strategy in that. No. You know, the only way that you can control him is with rough. That's yeah. pretty much the only defense that a golf course can have. Um, and and it's it, it's unfair to the rest of the players. Nobody likes to play out of three-inch rough. No. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it, you know, it. I, I just think that they'll figure all that out. I mean, it, like you said, it's, yeah. it's really – for the small minority, uh, you know, small amount of people, very small percentage are, are that way. I mean, he's going – I mean, that's the same thing Tiger did yeah. in, in the early, sure. late 90s. I mean, he was hitting it further. Everybody kind of said, wait a second, you know, yeah. and back up. And then that kind of – it kind of got came back around. And I think they'll – you know, you know, it's just with technology and, and everything, and then he's obviously bulking up physically, He, you know, you have be, so many yeah. factors that have contributed to that. Yep. You know, the, the, the golf clubs, the equipment certainly is a piece of it. The golf ball is is yeah. probably the biggest piece that's controllable. Yeah. And then when you look at the athleticism of these players now yeah. and what they can do, it's just, you know, there, there was not that kind of athleticism back in the 60s. No. You know, they they were they were not in good shape. <laughs> Some of them were a little bit better than others. Yeah. Gary Player, as an example, but uh, but Gary Player never hit the ball 350 yards on average. Did anybody? I think Nobody did. Daly was the first one, yeah. maybe that came he, along. That no, no question. Yeah, no question. It was. And and you know, I think I think the the USGA has the real potential to to roll the ball back yeah. a little bit. And if they start with the pros, then all of a sudden. Everybody's going to play whatever ball the pros play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think that that's probably the best best solution that we have if if it's going to ever happen. But the genie's out of the box. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if we're ever going back to it. Yeah. I mean, people. I mean, you know as well. We know enough people. We want to ourselves. We want to get whatever equipment that can right. hit it as far as we right. we can because we're not going to hit it 300 yards. I mean, my days are long gone. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I might get a hold of one every now and then, but you know. Speaking of that, how is the golf game? You getting to play at all? Well, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I know we bounce struggling at times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, like all of us, we have our our good rounds and our bad rounds. So uh, that's the that's the fun of it all. But yeah. I, I I love to play. I love to play with yeah. a lot of good friends and play different places and all. And I'm I'm hoping to be able to get out and play Pebble Beach for the first time in August if yeah. this uh, bug will let us fly a little bit for and sure. get out there. So. Uh, but yeah, I love to play the game. Do you have a particular? I'm not going to hold you to your favorite golf course. But do you have some that? <laughs> do you have some that you just kind of gravitate towards or enjoy or or what? You, you know, you stand I, out? There, there's. So, I've been on so many golf courses. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been blessed to play and and visit with superintendents on so many golf courses, and and I get asked that question all the time. What's your favorite one? And it's like, 
Well, it all depends on whether it's a Lynx style golf yeah, course or, or an ocean golf course. You can't you can't compare compare Prairie Dunes to Pebble Beach. Right. They're both fantastic. Yeah. You know, which one's better? I, you know, you can toss it up, but it, you know, I'll, I'll use the one that Robert Trent Jones would say. He said, "Well, I haven't designed that one yet." Right, for sure. <laughs> so, but I, I I love the game, and you know, it's about friendship, camaraderie. Yeah. Uh, what you and Dan and I did at the member guest. How much fun is that? Oh, it's a blast. I mean, that's what this is all about: yeah. is uh, you know, friends and. Having, we love our golf courses and our conditions and then love to talk about which ones we like the best. Yeah, I, I, it's always a hard debate to get into and, and really one that's difficult, especially when you think about, like you said, there's so much variety in everything that we do. I mean, I, my favorite golf course, and I've never played it, it's probably St. Andrews, yeah. I, I, just because I love how it plays. Yeah. And, yeah. But I, I, and I hope to get, you know, before I can – before I am able to, you know, I hope you do play too. the game as much as I want it's to. It's so much fun. I want to get over yeah. there and play it. But you know, I, you know, I, I haven't probably been on as many as you have. But I enjoy playing the game and if, if have a lot of fun. And you know, it's hard for me to pick. I would never pin you down on one. But I, you know, it's just one of those here to hear some of the ones that stick out in your mind is kind of cool. So yeah, well, there's there's a bunch of them. And, and certainly, anytime you get a chance to go over and play any of the British Isles courses yeah. they're they're you know San Andrews is certainly how can you not call it one of your favorites uh, yeah uh, I mean I, around I get stoked just watching it on TV yeah, and yeah. just you know coming up and it's uh you know it, my grandfather got to play it a bunch and I never got a chance to but mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm gonna get over there we'll a, we'll fly back over there again BJ yeah I that's, promise absolutely you. for sure <laughs> So, um, how has all this uh, pandemic and stuff? We didn't really touch on it much, but has, has it really affected you and your businesses and everything from your standpoint? To, to this point in time, it really has not. It's yeah. changed a little bit of how we do things. Yeah. You know, um, you know. I think there's lots of us that are working from home offices now. Okay. Um, you know, we live in a virtual world uh, yeah. where our phones and our computers and our cameras are uh, capable of taking us to places without hopping on airplanes. Yeah. And I think that that is what saved us. We, we did a, a, a brand new bunker renovation out in San Diego area. Yep. Um, and uh, I was on the side originally uh, early before COVID and did, did the redesign, uh, but we managed it uh, through the entire process online. Uh, through photographs from the contractors gotcha. and tweaking, working with the superintendent to make sure things were done right. And so we've been able to accomplish a lot of work without having to get on the airplane yeah. and go and see folks near as much. Now, I don't like that. Right. I, <laughs> I, I'm a hands-on, want to be there, want to tweak this line, tweak this, this particular slope or whatever. Uh, so it's not as much fun to be able to do it uh, uh, virtually, but yeah. uh, it's it is what it is. Right. I mean, I, I think you're just adapting and going. Yeah. You know, you, we've all had to do what we had to do. I'm just curious as to how it it's really affected the things because I know you know you're not just here and and you've got places you know things you're doing all over the place. So it, I'm I was just curious how yeah. that's impacted. Well, and and we're starting to travel a little bit. Yeah. I'm um am, am fortunate enough that I f I have my own small plane that I fly to jobs. So you know I'll be headed to Atlanta to a club where we're doing a, a single green renovation. Um, and visiting it to get it started next yeah. week. I can fly into Peachtree, drive right up to the site, and drive right yeah. back to the airport and get home and, and really still continue the social distancing sure. thing and, and work things out. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's ways to get that done, uh, but it, it's, um, it's, it's a different world. Yeah. It's um, a totally different world. Well, let's transition to what you got you've got going now it's okay. hot topic popular i know people are interested in, in hearing you talk about how did the better billy bunker system come about talk uh talk to me about that and some of the things that are make it unique and and why it's such a new uh process which i find to be very fascinating in terms of how it's transit you know it's sort of transformed how bunkers are looked at and taken care of and maintained in our business well, um, as I mentioned earlier, superintendents are very innovative people, and yep. uh, when they have problems, they try to find ways to solve problems, yep. and that and that's kind of where this all started. Is that you know I was a golf course superintendent as well, and the 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 thing that I disliked as much about bunkers was how much maintenance that we put oh. into them bunkers. Yeah, uh, bunkers that were built uh, flashy, and every time that it rained, uh, BJ, you had to go out there and shovel sand, and they were still awful. Um, and then we transitioned to, to, to 
putting fabrics in bunkers, and that was no better because they'd still wash out, yeah. and we'd still have torn fabrics. Everybody was just unhappy with bunkers. So um, what what I had learned uh, through my own research was how uh, a gentleman named Billy Fuller, who was at Augusta National, had began to build bunkers uh, there at Augusta with a new method where uh, he put in a two-inch layer of gravel and he put the fabric in. And uh, Pat O'Brien with the USGA uh, at that time had written an article about uh, the the method of building those bunkers and, he, and it was he put it in his article as the advanced drainage system. Gotcha. And it's a USGA USGA article that was uh, done and one of the clubs down in North Georgia had done that. And so the industry dubbed that method Billy Bunker. And uh, for years, many people replicated what Billy had done at Augusta. There had been some modifications to it, but mm-hmm. there were there were probably 700 clubs, Billy's told me, that had, had built bunkers that way, and uh, wham, it worked. What our industry did, though, BJ, was that we saw all these fabrics going in bunkers. Yeah. And we didn't realize that that gravel layer was what, what the trick was for the drainage. And so there were many bunkers. I myself, one, was uh, one of those people that had built bunkers and put fabric liner just directly on the dirt. And, yes, you did separate the sand from the dirt, but you had no hydraulic characteristics to help move water out of the sand into the drain tile yeah. and make them drain right. And so it didn't fix the problem. Sure. So frustration set in, and I started thinking, well, how could we build bunkers with drainage and still not have fabric liners? Because nobody wanted to put fabric liners any longer. And so I got together with the folks down at Dow Chemical down in Atlanta, and we developed a, a, a binder for the gravel that we could actually spray on that two-inch layer of gravel, and it still would drain and keep its characteristics much like its original rock would be. And wham, that's, that's where it really began. And so we started doing a few bunkers here, there, and yonder. One of our first projects uh, in the Middle Tennessee area was Fort Campbell. Uh, we, uh, those bunkers were redone in 2010, I believe, when they were done, 2009, 2010. So they're, they're, they're over 10 years old now. Uh, Peach Tree in DeKalb was another one that we did, a very high-profile high club in, sure. in Georgia, yeah. uh, very similar to its sister down the street. Yep. And Billy was very good friends with William Shirley there, and uh, in the discussion of redoing the bunkers, William decided that that was the way that he wanted to do the bunkers there, and that, that's, again, been about 10 years ago. Yeah. So it kind of started from that standpoint. That how it how it became named the Billy Bunker was Billy was actually interviewing to become an ASGCA member, which I had already been in the society for a couple of years. And I called Billy and I said, hey, let's get together and just talk. I'd met Billy at Augusta years ago. And I brought him a small sample of the Billy Bunker that we developed. And I showed it to him and he looked at it and said, well, that's interesting. And, and I think he took it home and set it on the t- the, the kitchen table and his wife Sarah looked at it and said, "What is that?" <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Well, it's a it's a different way to do bunkers, kind of like my Billy Bunker." And she said, "Well, do you think it's any better?" And he said, "Yeah, I think it might be." She said, "Why don't you just call it Better Billy Bunker then?" Yeah, and that's where it got its its it, name. It, 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 that, <laughs> so it's just that it's simple. It's just that simple. Yeah. I wish it was anything better than that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, we've been very blessed. Uh, we've we've worked real hard. We've got a great team of uh, yeah. uh, uh, fellows here in the office. Plus, we have over sixty-five golf course contractors that we've certified around the world. Okay. Um, over 1,500 golf courses have uh, put Billy Bunkers in. Yep. Uh, a lot here in Middle Tennessee. We've, we've, we've uh, been very blessed with our business, and uh, you know, it's, it's been a fun run. So how so is the better Billy Bunker the process of the building the bunkers, or is it just the uh, the the material that you're using it's the it's the method okay it's kind of like a usda greens construction method gotcha okay uh you you have uh certain materials and certain procedures that you've got to follow in in through the process so the 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 method we patented 
uh, and it has a process of using a bunker sand that you would choose, and there's various bunker sands that you can use with it, and that, that sand has to be matched with the gravel to make sure that they bridge, just like we do a USGA right. green. And then the depths of the, the sand and the depths of the gravel are all part of that process. And all that... It, does that is that uniformly across the or it depends on the sand? Does that change the gravel uh, decisions and yeah, how does so, all that work? So so as a general rule of thumb, when you have a finer sand, you use a slightly finer gravel. Gotcha. And as you get into a good coarse bunker sand, right. you can use a slightly coarser gravel as well yeah. with it too. So, but you still have to have at least two inches of gravel, and you have to have at least four inches of bunker sand in the bunker as a minimum. Right. Uh, some sands require a little bit deeper depths in the floors of the bunkers in order for them to reach the playability that the memberships like. Right. And that's another can of worms that you open up in. It's uh, uh, one that's interesting to try to, to pinpoint it on every single bunker. Yeah, some of these sands set up so firm. It's unbelievable. It's, I mean, I like that. I mean, I, I like a – I mean, I, I don't have a real preference. I try to stay out of the sand. But <laughs> it's, it, when you get into one of these newer sands that have been, you know, shuffled around and used, uh, man, it, it, it's interesting to see how packed they can be in there. Yeah, I think um, sand choice and playability in bunkers is the most subjective thing that we yeah. deal with in golf. Yeah. It's amazing the clubs I go – and visit uh and and it's it's quite simple is that the the better players the lower handicap players they like firm bunkers so that they can spin the ball out of it but when you get into the older uh, generation they want a fluffy bunker that they can just slide the club through and get through and get the ball out and so how you manage that in your membership is one of the most difficult things it's almost like fast greens or slow greens for sure yeah yeah, uh, how how tall is the rough and the fairways and all that going to be do do, when you get called onto a project is it a variety of options is that they just taking the bunkers that they've got there and and redoing them or it varies you, greatly it varies and and it all it, the big variable is the architect that's involved gotcha you know we work with all the asgca members and i say all of them we work with most of them um and uh what i would say is that they all have their own styles their own thoughts about how they want to do the bunkers, mm-hmm. and so that's their baby. Uh, you know, that's when the architect hack gets yeah. thrown uh, and left yeah, I wonder, in the office. I'm curious about oh, that. Oh yeah, no, no, you yeah. don't cross those lines. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, I've had many architects that have uh, asked me for opinions about what they should do and what yeah. they, you know, what sands. Uh, but they usually have their own styles, and they, you know, our job is to try to match. Uh, what they're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. okay that's that's the big key and and just you know uh, not not let uh, the architect do something that science won't allow to survive yeah um, you know we've all we've all seen bunkers that get very vertical on the faces yeah. and everything so we we've made it a habit to to make sure that we teach everybody involved that there's limits on how steep a bunker face can be in yeah. order for the sand to stay in place yeah do you ever get caught in the conversation of what methods better or or oh we had the conversation and and I would tell you there's no one shoe that fits every foot yeah uh, you know it, we we have jobs that we do that are lower budget jobs that you might use a flat designed bunker with a very inexpensive sand because yeah. that's what the the job calls for um, I I very seldom ever use very inexpensive sands because long many long years ago i learned that you know the key to good bunkers was first picking out a good bunker sand right that that's the first thing that you do but you know different areas of the country different designs different sands all drive this whole process right and sometimes it's just as simple to build bunkers that have nothing in them or a combination of different things depending on what the architect is so understanding what Water does in bunkers. The hydrology of bunkers is the first thing that you have to do in making the step to determine what is the proper base for your bunkers, how yeah. much drainage you put in them, and and uh, what sand's going to work the best. Because they're still you're still in a, you know putting drain tile in and absolutely lighting them and all yes. that. So yeah, I mean there's three three the three most important things in golf course construction mm-hmm. are drainage, 
drainage and drainage. Yeah, no doubt. Okay? Yeah. And if you forget that, then you need to revert back to what the most important things are because there is nothing more important. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very true. I mean, I, I think too many times it's overlooked. It's a very overlooked, uh, you know, part of the business. And, and um, you know, you seem to be doing it on the, you know, after the fact, a lot of times. Well, BJ, 30 years ago, um, even, you know, 40 now in my career, when we first started building bunkers, they were an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we shaped them, and we were going to put bunker sand in, and, yeah, we, we might throw a drain line in them, you know? Mm-hmm. That was what we did. We, we might put one drain line right <laughs> down through the middle of them and say, yeah. or maybe just in the floor of the bunker and saying, this is it. Yeah. Um, that's all we did. Uh, but bunkers now, and, and I would say for the last 15 years, bunkers have gotten more attention than putting surfaces have. Why? Well, superintendents are so good at maintaining putting surfaces, yeah. it's not a big big, big deal anymore. Yeah. But bunkers now all of a sudden are the number one complaint yeah. on golf courses. Oh, it's amazing <laughs> to me, but you're right. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's a hazard, but they feel like they should be perfect. Yes. And... You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's the most difficult thing. And you, you, you and I both know chasing moisture in greens is almost impossible to do just because of the microclimates and yep. the slopes and everything. Imagine that in every single bunker. Yeah. And we have clubs that, ha- ha- <clears throat> excuse me. You're right. We have clubs that think that um, they should have consistent bunkers. In every single one, the same playability out of it, and it's the most difficult thing to achieve. Oh yeah, I don't. I think inconsistency makes them part of the challenge most a lot of times, and I, and that's probably something that you know most people don't think about is right. you know the you know they don't need to all be consistent. It's 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 a requirement to provide some level of challenge for you to be in a spot designed by the architect for you not to be in, right. or if you're there that they want to you know it's it's for some reason and you're you know, creating an option, you know, uh, uh, an obstacle for you to, you know, play the golf hole. Right. And so, you know, being consistent, almost, it's damn near impossible, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, it's not, that's well, if not you read any goal. of Hogan's books about what he, he really did in bunkers, one of the first things he did and, and said is that you need to read the lie in the bunker. Yeah. And very few people ever consider what kind of lie that you have in a bunker or yeah. what the conditions are like. If Are they firm or are they soft? But but really, that, that should be a, as much of a part of the game as any other lie that you might find yourself in in the rough yeah. or, uh, you know, or, or around the collar or wherever we're at on the green. Yeah. Well, I know the success of Better Billy Bunker has been outstanding. You touched on all the stuff that, mm-hmm. that uh, you've done. And, and I mean, I, I, I wish I'd have got to work with you on, on you know, some of that because we were facing a bunker renovation. I think they might be doing that now. Yeah. Are you, are you yeah, maybe in contact with we're, we're We're in phasing at, yeah. at Brentwood. Good. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know those, they're long overdue, man. It is. <laughs> But uh, I mean, you know, I, and I and I know many golf course uh, superintendents around here that have raved about it and all that. And so, man, I, I it's uh, it's really cool to hear how that's taken off for you, and and it's been fun. kind of a, I guess that tickles your fancy of the golf course superintendent part of you over there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question. Well, um, it, you have uh, children, don't you? They're involved in your business yep. as well. Yeah, my son Adam uh, yep. has been working with us since day one. Yeah. And uh, my daughter, Abby, she does not work with us. Oh, got to get her involved. <laughs> well, uh, she is. She's has her own great career that yeah. she works with. She kind of yeah. has fallen uh, somewhat in the steps of her mother, Elizabeth. Uh, sure. um, she works with the Ascension uh, Health Services in the marketing yeah. department here in Nashville. And uh, Elizabeth uh, still works with Ascension, uh, about, about 38 years, 39 years working with Ascension over the years uh, as a as an RN and as an administrator. Yeah. So very, very, very blessed to have such a wonderful family. And, um, you know, uh, Adam Adam just makes up a part of the team we have here at sure. Better Billy Bunker. We, yeah. we all, our family, all of our people have been with us since day one, and uh, uh, it's just a, a good group. Yeah. Well, um, how is your wife and daughter and have the how's they handled sort of the, the pandemic and all that? How, well, my wife had actually retired from St. Thomas here in Nashville a couple of years ago, yeah. and um, uh, they asked her to help fill in an interim position in mm-hmm. Wisconsin. Yep. Um, and um, 
she didn't know this COVID thing was going to come She's, up. And so she's still been r- helping run uh, some of the Wisconsin hospitals yeah. since uh, uh, late November. And uh, it's, it's, it's been an, an interesting time. Our health care workers, those people on the front line, yeah. I'm telling you, we, we can't praise them enough on what they've been through. Uh, you just, you know, I hear some of the calls that Elizabeth is on, and it is amazing what these people are doing yeah. and how they've adapted. Uh, it, it is just, uh, you know, we, we, can't, uh, we, we can't say enough prayers for these people, no. and, and we can't be thankful enough for what they do for us. No, that's well said. I mean, it's, it, it's almost, it's almost a, an afterthought sometimes how, how difficult the challenges are with those. I know several friends that are, that are involved in it, and you know, you're right. I mean, it's, they can, you, we can't uh, praise them enough for the yeah. efforts that they're making because, my gosh, it, it's just, it's just with the confusion of all the news and who do you listen to and how do you pay attention and with everything trying to get back to normal and we're several months into this now, I mean, you know, it's caused just a lot of disruption and a lot of things and those people don't get enough uh, attention or effort, no I don't think. Because it's always about doom and gloom and everything, you know, and they're dealing with it firsthand. So, Well, it's real. Yes. A lot of people don't think that it's real yep. and a lot of, a lot of younger people – uh, don't believe that it's that big of a deal because okay I'll get it and it's not a big deal but yeah. it is a big deal because yeah. it's such a contagious disease yep. that it can impact people that are older real quick and you just don't mean to do it but it happens oh for sure yeah yeah well you know it's stay healthy out there and I Absolutely. know you guys are doing everything we can you can do and I appreciate you uh, sitting down and, and chatting with me and and uh, it was fun to get back and uh, see you the other day and play some golf. And Let's we ha- do it we some have more, to, buddy. We have to do it a, a, a lot more because I, I, I don't get to play near as much as I would like to. It's just been a tough time and difficulty and trying to stay involved. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, doing this podcast is a lot of fun, so yeah. I enjoy doing that. Well, you're doing down. a great job with that. Congratulations on that. Well, I appreciate it. I, yeah. You know, uh, this is uh, one that so I think a lot of people are going to enjoy listening to you and, and hearing your story and all the things you've involved in. Certainly, we've probably got more we can talk about when we come back and, uh, you know, and, and sit down again. Glad to do it. What uh, Are you on any social media or anything like that? Um, I actually am. Not as heavy as what my guys are on, yeah. but uh, I, I have a Twitter handle, Golf Architect, which okay. is pretty nice. All right. Uh, and uh, I think you can find me on uh, Facebook. Um, not not too much on the Instagram thing, but uh, sure. uh, I'm, I'm on a little bit of yeah. the stuff, so. It's a, it's a it's a fascinating that uh, how much that is or isn't people's uh, you know motivation or, or or mode for how to get you know information. I in this day and age it's almost a given because it's one free. It's good marketing and yes. and it's interesting. And I, I I use I use that platform a lot to push the podcast out sure. and to grow it as much. And I don't do enough as we all. Anybody you talk to never does enough. You know, it's just kind of oh, it's right. just in you the younger generation. My kids go nuts over it. I'm like, I don't even, I can't even keep up. You well, know? I'm fortunate that Todd and Dan and Adam are all, uh, yep. you know, young enough that yep. they were very heavily involved in all that. So they they do most of that with the company, yep. and uh, they've they've done a fantastic job. And you know, it, it is interesting to see all the people yep. that are involved with that and the feedback that you get. It's it's you know, if somebody asked me. Well, can you give me a little testimonial about your product or whatever? And yep. it's like, uh, just go to uh, at BillyBunker you know, at BillyBunker sure. on Twitter, and don't take our word for it. <laughs> Look what people are yep. saying about the product yep. and what it's doing for them. So that there's nothing better than that. No, I, I will say that that's the good, positive uh, word of mouth is is the best best advertisement, and yep. from all indications, that's been you know what's growing you hand over foot because yeah. i i don't talk to anybody that's never yeah you know that's not said anything well, that's uh, really great awful about kind it. thank yeah. you bj well before i let you go what right. what do you do when you're not doing all this golf and billy bunk you got any other hobbies or fun things you enjoy doing well, my, my wife calls me uh riley because i have the life of riley yep um i enjoy uh playing golf yeah i enjoy working i enjoy <laughs> flying uh you know, I enjoy being with my family. I have three grandsons yep. now, and they are the cutest things in oh. the world. That, that's that's something that uh, uh, is underrated. I can yep. tell you, it's it's fantastic 
so having that blessing and, uh, you know, if we ever get a chance to travel again, I do enjoy doing some traveling. Sure. Uh, my wife is hoping to be able to do a little bit more of that as, as uh, things clear up. But, yeah, um, you know, just, just enjoying life. Yeah. Really much so. Well, that's all we can do right now, man, yeah. is spend time together, have some fun, enjoy life, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of, it's just, that's just about it. It's every every day need, is a gift. It is. Every day is a yeah. gift. I try to, I try to leave a, a little bit of positivity with this. Part of the message behind making the turn is, Cal, doesn't really matter what's going on in your life. And, you know, there's always an opportunity to do better. And that's kind of the role, you know, you, you've figured it out in your life, adjusted, solved problems. And that's the thing that I kind of leave everybody is, you know, it's just like, it's really boils down to just the simple things in life, spending time with your loved ones, spending time with people you care about, your friends, talking to them. This has been a, a fantastic opportunity for me to learn more about you, even though we've known each other for a long time, you know, it's so I appreciate that. And, you know, and just, you know, continued health, and uh, we'll, we'll get together and play golf soon. Same to you, BJ. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate it. Well, everybody, uh, if you haven't heard of Jerry, uh, go check him out. Better Billy Bunker, he's the president of uh, Golf Links and Better Billy Bunker. Kind enough to sit down with me on Making the Turn and uh, chat for a few minutes, and it was a lot of fun. So um, I hope you enjoyed it. So until uh, next time, I, uh, that's it for the episode. I'm BJ Parker, your host, and I will talk to you soon.